what we just have to call Thomas Grant's erotica. Thomas Grant's erotica. Course. Thomas Grant's erotica. Expected goals. Thomas Grant's erotica. Dog's model. Thomas Grant's erotica. Regression. Thomas Grant's erotica. PDO. Thomas Grant's erotica. 801 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It's Halford. It's Bruff. It's Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in Hour 3 of the program. Thomas Drance is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour 3 of this program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today we are coming to you live from the kintech studio kintech canada's favorite orthotics provider powered by thousands of five-star google reviews Sorfi, what are you waiting for kintech now earlier i said that i don't like a lot of people because people are inherently stupid that was unfair some of you are quite bright you're quite witty including dan from comox he points out that if the canucks sign elias Pettersson today it actually turns an eight-year contract into a 32-year contract. It's yeah. been 84 years. Because no it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a leap year. It's February 29th. That audio was Pedersen upon realizing that he's a Canuck for three decades. Yeah, gotcha. Dang it. I should have waited. You know what? The tail end of that contract I'm worried about. Right. Please let me retire. When he's 56 years old. <laughs> Dear God, I'm old. He plays four seconds a night. Yeah. Does one face-off, and then he skates to the bench. Very slowly, too. Okay. Uh, to the phone lines we go. The Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. This call goes to Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Drancer. What's up? Gentlemen, starting my hit with an old Gilbert and Sullivan um, <laughs> sort of reference. I uh, love that. Leap year stuff. It's a good gag. Uh, big news. Big news out of Frank Saravalli. Heck of a scoop. He's way ahead of everyone on this. And, uh, yeah, I think for good reason. Uh, a bit of a surprising twist with uh, with the, the reports that Pedersen may, in fact, end our long sort of wait here. Uh, and, and it's a game changer for the Canucks. Uh, Dolly Wall, I'm sure you saw it, or if you haven't, here's yep. the update. The noise in the market about Elias Pettersson's contract reached a fever pitch in the last week. Dolly Wall just tweeted out, Canucks management met with Pettersson in the last few days, and they got back to the negotiating table. Certainly not done, but they are talking contract. What do you make of all this, Drancer? It's an interesting time of year. Um, you know, there's no real deadline. I, I, obviously, the trade deadline comes uh, coming at us quickly here, just about eight days away. And it's not like a real pressure point necessarily for a player in Pedersen's situation, but it can feel like one given the stakes, given the fact that this team is rolling and given the way that the noise amplified off of reports that teams were curious enough to be calling the Canucks reports from Elliot Friedman uh, stemming from this past weekend. You know, again, it's not a meaningful pressure point for a player necessarily, but 
as a team considers their options, um, you know, it, it, it can start to feel like one. And, and I do sort of wonder how much of a role that, that played, right? Not, not that, not that the Canucks necessarily, and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not reporting this, just sort of thinking my way through it. Not that the Canucks necessarily would have gone to him and been like, Hey, sign or we'll deal you. Right. I, I don't think they would have done that, but you know, it can it can sort of start to feel like that, especially when you hear teams are calling, right? Especially when that's the conversation in the market, when that's what's being reported. Um, you know, you're you're looking at a team gearing up with a shot at, at winning a Stanley Cup potentially, and that becomes something you don't want out there, right? That, that becomes something you don't want to happen. That becomes something you don't want your teammates to be asked about. That becomes something you don't want to deal with. Uh, does that change your thinking about it? Uh, given that talks were stimulated so significantly this week, given what the conversation has been like dual for both sides to sort of like throw in the press before actually getting down to brass tacks. Uh, We've certainly seen um, negotiations look bleakest right before an agreement gets done. But, um, and, and this sort of feels of a, of a part of that in the event that, in fact, this gets done relatively quickly here and Pedersen is locked up long-term, uh, an outcome that certainly is a surprise given the lack of progress all season, uh, given the lack of progress since the summer on Pedersen extension talks. So let's say they do get a deal done in this next couple of days. How might that change the Canucks' approach at the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it should change it relatively significantly. Uh, you know, in a, in a world where you had uncertainty about Pedersen, I mean, I, I even thought you could be reckless with your level of buying at the deadline, given where the Canucks sit in the standings, um, you know, given the impossibility of replacing a 25-year-old 100-point centerman, right? And he's on pace for 100 points again this year, uh, despite the fact that it hasn't been, you know, his most productive month. Uh, over the last, well, since the All-Star break, over the last three weeks. And, um, you know, I I really thought there was a a world where it actually made sense to go all in with, like, a unique level of recklessness. Uh, Again, the uncertainty around him, but also the fact that in the event that things went sideways on you uh, this past summer, you know, or this next summer, uh, you'd be able to pivot and net an unprecedented haul for a player anyway to offset whatever you spent at the deadline. So in, in some ways, I think if it's a long-term deal, especially a max term eight-year deal, then I think you're looking at a different set of considerations, right? I, I, not that you're like, I still think this team's going to have a relatively near-term window. I still think that the Hughes and Demko contracts, having a Vesna caliber goaltender at 5 million, having uh, a guy who's, you know, a heavy favorite to win the Norris, at 7.8, like I still think that's an important nexus for this team to bear in mind, right? That that three next three years plus this playoff run, but having Pedersen locked up, I mean, man, now now you need to think a little bit longer term, right? Now you've got an elite 25 year old player um, committed to you. I, I you know I think you can I think you can flesh things out. I think you in fact want to be a little bit more, not not it's not a huge sea change. I mean, the big sea change is that the Canucks won't have to replace an irreplaceable player this summer, which, you know, I don't know that we ever thought was like a, like a clear and present danger so much as something that the team had to be mindful of in terms of managing their risk. Now, now, 
now in the event that Pedersen signs, that's kind of off the table and the club can think about things in terms of really maximizing uh, their chances over the course of this, you know, Hughes Demko window, in my view, anyway, which would be a sort of a th- next three years, you, you definitely want to want to crest and maybe you don't want to blow um, every asset you've got <laughs> necessarily on just this one season, uh, which is where I honestly thought they should be trending toward in the event that Pedersen uncertainty sort of remained through March 8th. We talked about this yesterday, actually. I'm going to throw it by you right now. The Hughes contract, so it's $7.85 million, not just for this year, but for the following year and the year after that and the year after that. Yeah. Uh, how great a value contract is that? And if he was to be in a similar situation to Pedersen where he needed a new deal right now, like what would he be pulling annually if he was to, needing, if he was to get a contract at this exact moment? Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I, like... I definitely, I, I I think he's been one of the three most valuable single skaters in the league, personally. Okay. You know, I, I think you'd put him in a class with McDavid and McKinnon in terms of individual impact this season. His influence on this team, five on five this year, has been elite, rare. Um, you know, the sort of thing that, it, like, forget seeing it from great players. You see it from great players in their best seasons. You know, it, 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 he's, a, he's been at that level. So, um, you know, in, in terms of what, what, what does a point-per-game 15-goal Norris-winning defenseman earn on a long-term deal? Man, <laughs> whatever they want, you know? Yep. But, um, 8 times 13, 8 times 13, I don't think anyone would sniff at that. Right. What did you make of uh, Rick Tockett's comments about Petey's play recently? Yeah, thought thought it was interesting. Certainly thought it suggested that there's a solid level of trust there in that relationship, right? A, a willingness to, uh, on the player's end, to seek out the, the advice and guidance uh, of the coach on a, on a relatively delicate matter. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a good sign. That's more than anything. I think that's just, you know, one thing that the Canucks, certainly Jim Rutherford really value prize uh, about talk. It is his ability to navigate relationships or, or navigate sort of trickier situations in terms of relationships. And I, I think that's on full display, um, you know, with, with sort of the idea that Pedersen would have gone to talk at one point and been like, how should I manage the noise here? Um, you know, I think it requires a, a fair bit of, uh, requires a fair bit of trust to seek out and sort of weigh someone's opinion on a matter, you know, this personal and this significant. Uh, and I think that's evidence of it. Is Petey more inconsistent than some of the other elite players around the league? No. No. I mean, the... So, there are a few players in the NHL who are just outrageous. Like, Prime Ovechkin was the most consistent, (laughs) you know, um, goal scorer, power forward, like, hitter we've we've seen in 20 years um kind of before him it was like jerome ginla i think now you've got matthews and and in terms of matthews goal scoring it's it's preposterous um obviously mcdavid is a pretty safe bet to get you a couple points a game but even he just went 10 games without a goal before ending that streak in dramatic fashion last night so um you know the nhl we have this idea of like 
what players should produce like, right? The idea of like a 30-goal, 50-point player, and they're going to do that every year. But, it, but in fact, they're not, right? And you are usually, re- very regularly, the way that hockey stats are accumulated, you are very rarely going to have like long point streaks, right? I mean, there's a reason we make a big deal out of like a 15-game point streak, right? It's, it's extremely rare, uh, to not have a single night where, like, a goalie stands on his head or, um, you know, your line doesn't score. You don't get credit for the secondary assist <laughs> that, that would snap your point streak. Uh, in Pedersen's case, you know, if you look at his career to this point, um, I mean, he he was sort of a pretty consistent, like, sub point per game guy for his first three years, but, but a pretty high end sub point per game guy, like a 70 point player. And that, and then he's kind of leveled up. I mean, he's on pace for what one fewer point than he had last year. I mean, additionally, I think what's important to look at is, you know, your in Pedersen's case, there's two things, right? One is pretty reliably drives play and his two way impact has been hugely consistent with the exception of about a 40 game stretch in that 2021, 2022 season, right. Where he, where he actually played pretty poorly for about half the year and and then got hot down the stretch. That was sort of coming off the wrist injury. That was really the only time we've ever seen his two way play fall off. Um, Aside from that, his two way impact's been incredibly consistent. And then the other side of it is, and this is where Pedersen becomes a bit of a rare piece, his reliability driving shooting percentage, five on five especially, but in all phases of the game, that is extraordinarily rare, right? Like for the most part, percentages have, you know, for the last 15 years been relatively fixed in the NHL and it only the absolute elite of the elite and players that like always dump it in on two on twos and, and can't really finish like your classic Travis Moen style defensive expert. Um, those guys tend to be the outliers Travis, at either end. Travis of the Moen. What a pull. Talking, talking to me, the answer is a, is a real trip sometimes. <laughs> Was he on a line with Sammy Paulson? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sammy Paulson, Rob Niedermeyer, Travis. Moen. Yes. Yes. An elite third line. Anyway, the, um, so when you look at Pedersen's consistency driving, like efficient shooting above and beyond all reasonable expectation. I, I mean, that is, that is a hugely volatile number and to be consistently high end in that category makes him like one of 10 guys in this league uh, to give you an example of just how much this can vacillate. Like we're talking a lot about uh, obviously JT Miller the last month and for good reason, especially because of the way that he's played defense at center over the last four weeks. But like a huge difference in perception for JT Miller is last year, five on five on ice shooting percentage was sub seven this year. It's 14 and a half, you know, like this club scoring on twice as many of their shots this year with Miller on the ice than they were last year. Um, you know, th- doesn't necessarily reflect his impact. He's all his, his sh- on ice shooting percentage tends to jump all over the place. Like most players, right? Like, Nine, seven, fourteen would be his last three years in terms of on ice shooting percentage five on five. With Pedersen, you're getting like ten, eleven every year. Um, that to me is, uh, I mean, that's his value. Like that's that's honestly one of those attributes that you can only apply to like seven or eight guys in this entire league 
only seven or eight hockey playing humans on the planet. Um, and, and I brought this up yesterday, but in case you don't believe me that uh, players themselves don't tend to impact on ice shooting percentage, I want to note that the NHL leader by this category last season was Ilya Mikheyev. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so just keep that in your back pocket for whenever someone's like, no, come on, most players impact shooting percentage. It's like they, they, they do, but large sample, only, only guys like Pedersen, like very, very rare pieces. Uh, actually drive it. Uh, and that to me sort of negates any consistency stuff. Like I, I get what people are, are saying or seeing, especially from Pedersen over the last month when they say that. But at the end of the day, Pedersen's still like been good, you know, like the club's still out shooting, uh, out attempting their opponents five on five when Pedersen's been on the ice this past month. They've still, um, uh, you know, they've still outscored the opposition despite the fact that, when he's been on the ice since the all-star break, he's had a 850 on ice shoot, uh, save percentage. Like this is a really good player. And, and I just, I really don't understand. I think people struggle to grasp what NHL consistency really looks like because there's nothing in his profile that's been inconsistent or, or vacillated wildly at all uh, over the course of his NHL career. Um, this was kind of a minor issue compared to everything that happened yesterday and the things that people were talking about. But at practice, uh, I don't know if you, did you make it to practice yesterday? I'm sure you did. I didn't because it was oh. at 1230. And uh, right. Okay. So according to Brendan Batchelor, our resident, uh, pairs and forward lines, tweeter outer, uh, Hughes was with Juleson on the back end, Cole with Myers yeah. and Zadorov was with, uh, Hironic, is that, uh, do you think that was an experiment or do you think we could see that tonight against the LA Kings? I, I remember days in this market where that, that type of news would carry a whole day. <laughs> yeah. And, and it might've in, uh, on another day in another environment. Uh, the, so I thought the Penguins as the game churned against the Canucks in the third period, especially, but really. Um, well, yeah, in the third period, especially, I thought the Penguins were able to forecheck really aggressively against Vancouver's defense. And I thought especially against the zadorov Juleson pair, um, you know, I thought that became an advantage for the Penguins as the night went along and in crucial moments. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I, I asked talking about it after the game on Tuesday night, I was like, how did you think your team held up against the forecheck? And um, you know, I didn't put any editorial on it. I was just curious to test his response, and uh, his response was forthright, not very well. Um, and so, you know, you split up your defense pair, your your top defense pair in particular, and all of a sudden you've got a little more balance in terms of a puck-moving group. Uh, I think that makes sense because one thing about the Penguins, right, they're not very fast. Like, if their forecheck's giving you a lot of trouble, well, it makes sense to be thinking about how you're going to neuter it against L.A., yeah. a team with real speed and, and real aggressiveness uh, on the forecheck. So, you know, the moment I saw those changes, those batch tweets anyway, I, uh, I thought that's probably a response to how the club held up uh, against the pressure applied by the Penguins. Uh, I didn't think they held up nearly well enough. And, in fact, I sort of left that game thinking, man, I, I, I really struggle to imagine – that this team couldn't use an additional puck-moving defenseman more than just about anything else. That's what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. What would that look like, though? Where would you – like, you know, let's say you want to keep this Hughes-Heronic pair together. And you do. And you do. So would that be a right shot 
like a puck mover yeah. to replace Horonic or it's not Horonic, uh, Juleson. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, tough, it's, right? it's, it's so, it's so hard to be like, man, like, I don't know if you want Juleson in there in the playoffs because like that guy just sacrifices and block shots and makes hits, but he also makes some pretty big mistakes out there. He's a killer penalty. Uh, sorry. He's, Killing it on the penalty kill as well. That right? too. I mean, that too. Right. Like I, awesome. I, I really like his game. I like watching him play. But you know, I, I have to acknowledge, like you know, in the Winnipeg game, he made a couple of key mistakes, and he put that on himself. And um, he does seem to have been out there for quite a few goals against lately. Granted, he is often killing penalties and in, in a yeah. defensive role. But so, it, would that be what you were looking for? Like just an optional puck mover for the back end? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, this team's defensive, this team's best defensive run of the season did come with Susie Healthy and the other five guys also in the lineup. And and I think the clubs, you know, I think the fit wasn't necessarily perfect. I don't think Tockett was always happy with the way that, you know, uh, like a Zadorov Cole third pair performed. But on the whole, the team's defensive results spiked in a massive way uh, with those six defenders in the lineup. So the concept for me of, like, moving forward – are you willing to move forward with Juleson as a seventh guy? Like to me, that's a luxury. That's not a, a negative necessarily. Um, you know, I, for me, a player like, um, and, and he's one of you know my favorites. So uh, Alexandra Carrier has been discussed a lot, right-handed, you know, costs not a ton team has the flexibility to, to fit a guy like that into the lineup uh, without necessarily sending money out. Um, you know, I don't think if you move Juleson to your seventh defender, like, first of all, that means he's probably going to play if you get to where you want to go, right? Because you're going to have injuries. You're going to need him. Um, it very rare you win the Stanley Cup 2012 LA Kings style with just six defensemen playing in the playoffs, right? Or when the Blackhawks won it with three. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, very rare that that happens. You're going to need your seventh defenseman, you're going to need your eighth defenseman most likely if, you, if you're playing into mid-May, late-May, early June, the way that this team certainly hopes they will. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of wouldn't look at it as, like, an upgrade or I, I, wouldn't need, I wouldn't look at it as needing to upgrade on Juleson so much as I'd look at it as, you know, in a, in a world where your team is best off playing your two best puck movers together, and they clearly are, right? The Hughes-Heronic there. Clearly, yeah. The Hughes-Heronic pair changes everything for this team when they're on the ice. You can basically divide this team's results into with Hughes-Heronic, without Hughes-Heronic, and the gap is huge. Like, it's massive. And so you don't want to separate that, but if you're going to play, you know, whether it's Myers, Cole, Juleson, Zadorov, or, or Myers, Cole, Susie, Zadorov on pairs two and three, um, are there matchups where you might want just a little bit more skating speed from the back end um, just to insulate you, right? Like, are there, are there games where that's valuable? Are there moments where that's valuable? Uh, for me, the answer is yes. Like, I, I do think that that, you know, they say in the NFL, right? Like, uh, uh, if you get to, when you get to the conference final, you're seeing a pass rush unlike you've, uh, of a quality unlike you've seen previously. When you get to the Super Bowl, same thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can be a team that's good at protecting the quarterback, but once you get to that point in the season, everyone can rush the quarterback, and, and it kind of changes. And I think it's the same, right? You can be a team that's moved the puck really well, the way Vancouver has from the back end out all season, but once you're playing seven consecutive games against the exact same elite opponent who is specifically targeting every weakness that you have, trying to force a turnover, it can look a little different. Um, Canucks haven't had a ton of trouble dealing with the pressure, you know, from opponents over the balance of the season, but it's cropped up in certain games. And I think come playoff time, you know, this team's going to need more speed from the back end. I I, I believe that. And and in fact, I'd probably put that above the other needs as something to prioritize ahead of March 8, especially with what we saw against Pittsburgh. All right, your answer. It's going to be a busy time for you uh you might have a contract a uh, big contract announcement to Let's write go. about we'll see um you got some pretty important games uh coming up and then you got the trade deadline on march 8th so hang in there Should buddy we'll talk about we'll, we'll talk later sounds good cheers boys Bye. thanks uh thomas trance from the athletic vancouver and canucks talk here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 coming up it's what we learned time humanoid edition and halbro edition don't go anywhere. Submit now. Dunbar number text line is 650-650. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God. This is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.32 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. It is what we learn time. Hour 3 of this program is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. I think we got a bunch of what we learned, so we need to do. Um, I'm going to start because I have two. So I'm going to bookend this. I'm going to start. I'm going to finish. Before we go to the humanoids. I've got one. I know. I'm going to start. Oh, you're going to bookend it. Yeah. yeah. You're going to make a Jason sandwich. Gross. <laughs> well, I got one in the middle, too. Can't Jason and Laddie sandwich. <laughs> so fat. <laughs> keep adding layers. Okay. I learned that the Kansas City Chiefs are on top of the football world because they won the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, we knew that. They're also at the bottom of the football world because they finished dead last, dead last, 32 out of 32 in a recent NFL Players Association poll that took stock of each organization based on things like amenity, coaches, ownership, food, catering, weight rooms, locker rooms, dressing rooms, basically lack of raise dead last. Dead last. How does a winning team finish dead last in a poll like that? <clears throat> they lack, are lack the, of praise. They are the Econo Lodge of the NFL. You'll get the job done. <laughs> You'll fall asleep. Uh, the Chiefs ranked 26 in the food slash cafeteria category, 
31st in the nutrition slash dietitian category, 31st in training room, and 32nd in training staff. The Chiefs stood out because they ranked poorly in many of the same categories last year. You know what else they also did last year? Won the Super Bowl. So it almost is like the less you give the guys, the better they play. Especially Do they like the all share one locker or something? These guys are hungry. Okay, Literally. so just to give you an idea of the... <laughs> fight for um, a sandwich out there. One of the criticisms was that um, they were ch- skimping on uh, dressing room amenities. Like instead of chairs, they had stools. Ah, so the Chiefs went and got chairs. They say one of those like bouncy balls that you have to sit on. They also prom <laughs> the, the Bosu balls. Yeah. Yeah. When we worked at 1040, Blake used to sit on one of those. I'm like, why do you do this? I think he had a bad back. Is it for though, show? <sighs> it's back. for show. You know what you need for a bad back is a chair with a back. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the Chiefs were also promised upgrades uh, to the locker room that never happened. And the team's excuse was that their Super Bowl run was so long that they couldn't have the time to do the the upgrades and the amenity improvements. Anyway, I do want to point out the best part of this whole thing. It wasn't that the Miami Dolphins finished first and the Minnesota Vikings finished second. It was that the team that made the biggest jump was the Jacksonville Jaguars. They went from number 28 to number 5. And you know why? It's because they got rid of the rat infestation. (laughs) I'm dead serious. Yeah. They said the biggest complaint about Jacksonville was that there were so many rats. Then this year they said there's fewer rats. They kept getting the plague. (laughs) They didn't know why. By the way. Nick uh, Cousins walking around the dressing room. What's this guy doing? Taking dives. (laughs) You punch the rat, it falls down. Five seconds later, it's at the cafeteria. Um, You've mentioned this a couple times as we tie everything back into local. We got a real rap problem here in Vancouver right now. Well, Marshall, oh, just yeah, left. The I Bruins were in like, town. No, just from on. my walk to the SkyTrain, I see so many down down Georgia Street. So there's a multitude of reasons for this, but one of them is the unusually warm winter that we've had. I mean, I personally think they're adorable, so I don't, I'm not bothered Somebody by pointed out to me. Rats are adorable? Oh, yeah. They're, they're just, there, was like a, there was like a dirt guys. hill, yeah. and there was a bunch of holes in it, and someone's like, hey, see those holes? Rat holes. Rat party. Yeah. Like, Someone, oh, thanks for telling me. There was me. that video on social media. They're just doing the their day. best, trying to survive. It was in uh, Art Phillips Park. They had the rat party. They don't hurt anyone. It's not like they have disease or anything. Uh, <laughs> rat party is very cordial. The guy shows up. He's got a spinach dip and a sourdough bowl. He's like, here we go. Let's have, you ever, have you ever seen them on the rocks at Granville Island? They, yeah. That's disgusting. Oh, yeah, There's yeah. something about swimming rats. That That's not as like, good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that scene in uh, Last Crusade where they're all... All swimming in the oil, and Indiana Jones is trying to escape. Yeah, well, like yeah. their rats are fine. Rats but swimming, and, and, rats. and his dad doesn't like rats. He does not. Indy doesn't like rats. Anyway, <laughs> kudos to the Jacksonville Jaguars for cleaning up their rat problem. Moo cow. Jason, go. Uh, I learned that the Toronto Maple Leafs are in fairly desperate need of a right shot defenseman, and their head coach Sheldon Keefe was not too happy that the other day against Las Vegas, a team which his team a game which his team lost pretty badly, um, had to draft or draft dress six lefties. No, on not defense. a righty to be found. All lefties. And Keith said, I don't like it. Um, Morgan Riley said, Yeah, it's challenging, but I feel good over there because he's been forced to the right side. We try to work on that stuff in practice, changing partners. There's obviously room 
for improvement. So um, here's the thing with the Leafs. They, they went into the season with some options on the right side, um, but we all know what happened with John Klingberg, season-ending hip surgery, plus he was playing terrible. Uh, apparently Connor Timmons has mono. And Timothy Liljegren, who was playing pretty well, he's day-to-day currently with an undisclosed injury. So Keith said, we do have a number of guys that are at least comfortable on the right side. And -hmm. certainly, if not comfortable, at least have experience with it and can manage that and just press on. So this relates to the Chris Tanev trade yesterday, a right-shot defenseman, which a lot of people thought uh, might – involved the Toronto Maple Leafs in that trade, especially since Brad Shaliving knows Chris Tanev so well from his days in Calgary. But Tanev goes to Dallas because Dallas also needs right-shot defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, Laddie, I know you're on a group text with a bunch of Leafs fans because they're Leafs fans. We were buddies from back home. Mm-hmm. Um, what was their response when Tanev was traded to Dallas? Well, they obviously wanted him. They they were pretty disappointed, I guess I would say. But the the overlying comments were always just like, "Hey, we we'll go get somebody better." You know, they weren't heartbroken that they didn't get Tanev. They were upset because the price tag ended up being pretty insignificant. But they're saying, "Oh, we're let him cook a bit longer. We're going to get somebody better than Tanev." Let Brad cook. Yeah, let Brad cook. So, like, who is out there that is a right shot defenseman that they could bring in? Noah Hannafin is the big name on the trade board, but. Mm he shoots left. Is it like a guy like Sean Walker out of Philly? Because we don't even know if if the Flyers are going to trade a guy like that because they're currently in a in the position of being in the playoffs. You know, um, Chris Letang. Did you go get Chris Letang? <laughs> one of, well, one of the guys that Drance mentioned was Alexander Carrier out of out of Nashville. Yep. Um, he's a right shot guy. So, at any rate, I'm not going to belabor this point. Don't but... moo out because not to belabor, but to add on to your what. Laddie has two what we learns on your what we learn. The first, jo- Joseph Wall. He's back tonight. He uh, starts confirmed. Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev will not play tonight. His visa issues, so he will not be in the lineup for the Stars. It's tough. They looked at his picture and they're like, "It looks like you have a criminal record." He has the bindle across the border. <laughs> like you can't come in here, sir. What's in your What's in your sack there? Is your passport in there? He's <laughs> like Jack Reacher. He's like, I got a toothbrush. That's it. How did you get here? All Are right. you in the back of a caboose? Okay, uh, Mukau, all that. <laughs> um, he and- rides the freight trains. <laughs> That's right. I got one. Yeah, Laddie's got one. Laddie, you're I doing one. We're putting in work yeah. right now. Uh, so this will anger some people, so this might you know, Love it. angry up the blood a little bit. Love get it. ready for some really awful calls in baseball this year. <laughs> They're just confusing calls. Okay. They've tweaked the rules once again. Rob Manfred. At it again. So Why I now? learned you can't block the bases anymore until you have the ball. So as somebody who played a lot of second base growing up, this came into play during a lot of steal attempts, right? You would get in front of the base, get your leg down, get the ball. Yeah, the guy slides into your leg. You tag him. He's yeah. not on the base. He's out. You can't do that anymore. So uh, you, unless you have the ball. So you have to have the ball in your glove first. Then you can get in front of the base is the new rule. But the kicker is it's a judgment call from the umpires and is not reviewable nice i like so these will all be made in real time as you like to say mike 
Judgment calls never go wrong. And it's just the reality of the situation. I they're going to mess this up. It's it's like the home plate rule, but they've added it to every base now, essentially. They so. also shave two seconds off the pitch clock. Too, and they're right? they're allowing runners to run inside the baseline for the first time ever down the first baseline, which is a little interesting. They're expanding the area. So I don't know. I guess they're trying to increase offense even more a little bit. Balls in play, making them more exciting. But I don't know. These, these seem like they're just going to make things more confusing. You're adding more judgment to the umpire's job, which isn't always easy. Moo cow. Fire up that dub matrix. What we learned, Humanoid Edition, brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation. At $200 off, visit them at getfireplan.com. Oh, my God! We're having a fire plan! By the way, hour two of the podcast is called The Reality of the Situation. Very good. Uh, we, I was going to do, I said I was going to bookend what we learned, but, uh, someone texted in, I don't have it in front of me, but they were talking about the Lakers Clippers game last night. So I don't know if anybody watched this, but old man, LeBron James, the Lakers were down 21 Mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter last night and they came back and won. What? Really? Yep. LeBron. I I, I passed a TV with that game. I was like, Oh, that's not good for the Lakers. LeBron outscored. The Clippers in the fourth quarter, 19 to 16. It was the biggest comeback of his 21-year career in the fourth quarter. Um, it was remarkable to watch. The The boy is a Clippers fan because uh, he's been to one Clippers game. That's his basketball. What do you think of the new branding? You know what? We discussed it at length yesterday. Um, it took a bit of explaining because he didn't know what a Clipper was. Take him to Nanaimo. By the way, yeah. So for those that don't know, it's a... Uh, a ship popularized in the 1800s, like a fast-moving yacht, very fast from, from back in the day, uh, and that was from their days as the San Diego Clippers. Mm-hmm. They since moved to Los Angeles. It worked a little bit more with San Diego because the proximity to water, right? Clipper, oh, gotcha. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Now um, the spinoff well, of the this Lakers is- are the other team. A lot of lakes in LA. Yeah, see, I mean, but they don't need to explain it because it's the Lakers. The Clippers are like, see, this is the story, and everyone's like, you're boring me anyway. Um, <laughs> Their pro shop, the Clippers pro shop, is the most convoluted, conflicted pro shop of all time because you can buy all the throwback gear, mm-hmm. but the Clippers have moved like 27 times, right? Right. So yeah. they've got throwback gear from everywhere. And to try and go through the lineage to get to the modern day, which because, of course, now they've rebranded, they're moving, they're not going to play in crypto anymore. That's it for them. What's more confusing, the Clippers pro shop or the Canucks pro shop? It's you know what I'll say this: it is the Clippers because of the movement from uh, the East Coast to the West Coast. The, the Canucks, Canucks gear, is a the color Canucks, confusion. The Canucks gear is hilarious. Oh, like, can you imagine someone coming from out of town and they don't know any? They're just like, oh, I, I heard hockey's big here. Yeah, what are your colors? Yeah. Well, all of them. All of them. <laughs> we did anything except purple. Although there was probably a purple phase at one point. I'm not um, sure. Colin and Tawasin, uh, what we learned, PD is finally willing to talk contract just so people will stop talking about him. Um, yeah, this ends any conversation ever again about Elias Pettersson if he signs. I'm now sure, I'm what sure. do we talk about? No, no, no. I'm kind of joking. Oh, yeah, right. Jokes. Yeah. Do you think? Um, do you, yeah. Well, okay. now you got to earn it, buddy. I do like to think that there is a universe, a reality out there where Pedersen was like, you know what? Fine. I'll just sign. Let's just get this over with. The biggest decision of my life 
is you know kind of being dictated by the talking jackals. On Wasn't it like anti-bullying day too? Like I have been bullied into signing. Yeah, somebody yeah. did point that out. Yeah, <laughs> fine, I, fine. I'll <laughs> sign this hundred million dollar contract, you bullies. Yeah, I'll stay here for eight years. Yeah. Whatever. There's my, people in honor are, of anti-bullying day, we have bullied Elias Pettersson into yeah. signing this contract. You know, There's other people st- out there that are like, you should have seen the stuff that I was bullied. Can you into. bully someone <laughs> yeah. into a relationship with you? Is that how? I would love to get bullied. Isn't it the other way around? $100 million. That'd be yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. You bully someone away. Feel free to bully me anytime you want if it involves me getting $100 million. Exactly. Um, Justin and East Van. Halford, I wanted to discuss this with you. What yeah. we learned. What's up? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm excited. I'm going to tell you. I'm getting interested. Uh, what we learned. A former Vancouver Grizzlies scorekeeper admitted that he was pumping up NBA stats, and it was reinforced internally with the Grizzlies management for example sharif abdur rahim's stats were better at home than on the road mm-hmm. this is a guy i I'd, let me get the the story up here uh okay his name is alex rucker he worked in vancouver as a statistician for the grizzlies because every it's like the nhl every home arena has its own statistician the yeah. league doesn't fly one around mm-hmm. as, a, as a universal like league-based guy uh, Alex Rucker was very young when he was here. He was in his early 20s. He's spoken about this before, but did it under sort of a cloak of anonymity, I believe, because he was either in the Army, Navy, or Air Force uh, at the time, so he okay. didn't want his identity out there. But now he's sort of speaking about it more candidly. He recently talked about it on the Pablo Torre Finds Out podcast. Uh, and he, oh, he found out. He essentially said that... Um, Juking of stats for quote unquote star players during his time was a common practice and was quote unquote reinforced internally with the Grizzlies organization. Why would the Grizzlies want their star player stats inflated? His thought was that it was a star based and star driven league. And that to to support or reinforce star players with statistical merit. That they they probably didn't do that in like a contract year, though. So I worked. This is an offshoot of this. Mm -hmm. I worked for the Vancouver Canadians uh, as an intern one summer in the press box. I was the media relations guy. Ran the press box basically. Uh, I may be overstepping what exactly I did there. I mostly just sat around and ate popcorn, but and hot dogs. and you would think yes, but that you handed out the popcorn and hot dogs. No, no, I ate it. To other media. I didn't do that. Um, oh. You would think that um, this kind of stuff doesn't happen, but the manager at the time is Or Franchuk. I distinctly remember him coming up to the booth mm-hmm. and would often get into arguments with the scorekeeper. Right. Because the scorekeeper was of the mind that this is single A baseball. Um, you know, the fielding isn't going to be exemplary Mm -hmm. so or the another statistician that worked there was like well no like these are plays that i think should be made there were very heated arguments about what would be constituted as a hit or an error Mm -hmm. because it would affect a guy's batting average and guys like look if a guy's batting 230 at single a vancouver give him a hit (laughs) give him a hit you know juke those stats so this does happen right and this is at a very micro level single a low low a so you saw the scorekeepers actually change numbers no i saw the scorekeepers go to the mattresses to keep the integrity of their stats Mm -hmm. what alex rucker was talking about here was he was kind of nudged 
to go in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that ball that fell on the ground and then Sharif Abdurrahim picked it up. That, that was actually re- that's that, a rebound. That, well, I was anyway, that was a three point. No, 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 it wasn't that bad. <laughs> but if you I, and I guess now some people have gone back and look at the splits with Sharif's home and away. Right. Sharif sure had some double doubles at home. Sure had some double doubles at home. Uh, unsigned, what we learn: Johnny Hockey hates hockey. Eight goals on the season, remarkable. What's happened there? Sorry, I missed that. Laddie was blathering in my ear about stats. Uh, Johnny Hockey hates hockey. Eight goals on the season. Remarkable what's happened there. Johnny Hockey got trucked last night by Vincent Trocek. Did you see that? I did not. Uh, It was actually, originally he was given a five for the hit, and then they reviewed it, and they didn't even downgrade it to a minor penalty. They just wiped it out entirely. They're like, it was fine. Um, Matt Rempe skated over. Everyone thought there would be some fisticuffs. And then Gaudreau went to the room for a while, came back in the third period, and then just kind of coasted. I I mean, I guess in high... Back to my game. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm fine. Can I just go in here for a lap? They're like, yeah. Um, I, I guess in hindsight, maybe we should have seen this coming because the decision to go to Columbus was one that, once he explained it, was purely out of, like, this is going to make my life easier. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be close to my family, but not too close. I'm going to go to a place where there's a hockey team, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, they're not really going to make the playoffs. There's not going to be a lot of scrutiny. It's not a Canadian market. He wanted to go somewhere where it was comfort first and then hockey second or third, maybe. And he's sure playing like it. Um, This one I wanted to read, what we learned unsigned. McDavid just turned Zach Hyman into a 40-goal scorer, probably a 50-goal scorer by the end of the year. So, yeah, yesterday McDavid snapped a 10-game goalless drought. By scoring in overtime to beat the Blues 3-2. And he had a joke. Someone was asking him about it. It was the longest goal-scoring drought of his career. And he's like, ah, I'm just trying to rack up as many assists as possible. Which he had done. Mm-hmm. He had like 22 assists. Well, he had that six-assist game. Yeah. like not Talking about him not finding the back of the net was comical. Because he's like, well, I'm just setting up other guys to score with great frequency. But uh, Hyman... When he signed that contract, I remember a lot of people thinking, like, it probably is not going to be that great on the back end. But the front end of that contract, it has been fantastic. He has been a perfect fit in Edmonton. He could be a he could be a fifty goal guy this year. Um, so we would often have conversations when the Sedins were in Vancouver about how they make their line mates better. Now it didn't always work out. There were guys that were brought in that didn't fit with the Sedins necessarily. Whether that was Steve Bernier or I guess Taylor Pyatt did okay, but Anson Carter was a guy that. They, you know, without the Sedins, probably wasn't scoring many of his goals. And most famously, even though Alex Burroughs had a lot of qualities and, um, you know, I, I don't sit there and go like, the Sedins made Burroughs. He would have been not even in the NHL or not even a good player if um, if he wasn't with the Sedins. I think going forward now, people are going to be looking at Petey, especially if he gets this big contract and be like, okay, right, now do that. And McCabe will be like, I still can't finish. I'm sorry. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I All have right. no hands. All right. We got to get out of here for today, but we will be back tomorrow. Big game tonight. Big show tomorrow. So get excited. Listen to the station all day and all night. And then tomorrow morning as well. Signing off for now. We got to go. I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.